0: How do we even talk about the afterlife in Jewish thought? It's this idea of olam, which is the world, and ha heavens. Olam habaah, it means the world that is coming, the world that's on its way, the world to come. There's hope for that, and there's hope here in the land of the living. Remembering those foundational things for our Christian audience who is going through mourning, it may give you some room to go through a process.
1: Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna.
0: And I'm Ezra Benjamin.
1: We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world in the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. If you've been listening to our podcast, last week we actually talked about baptism, and today we're talking about the afterlife, so kind of from the beginning to the end. And we're even going to answer some questions that you sent in about the afterlife. So let's discuss. So Ezra, as believers in Jesus, we believe that we'll be with the Lord one day after we die, which is based on our faith in Jesus. But for non-believing Jews who don't have that faith in Jesus, what do they believe about the afterlife? What, what will happen after they die?
0: Yeah. I'll, so I'm going to give you, as I often do on the podcast, Carly, a very Jewish answer. It depends. What do I mean by that? throughout history within Judaism, which has had at any point in history kind of different factions or, you know, the Christian terminology would be denomination, right? When you get into an argument with other Christians, you make a new, a new denomination. So when members of the Jewish community, specifically rabbis and leaders disagree and just can't seem to uh, see eye to eye, you get these different Uh, sects or factions or what of Judaism. We wouldn't call it denominations, just different, maybe streams is the right word. And so throughout history, there's been a lot of disagreement on this. A lot of our Christian audience may be surprised to know, and we're going to explore this a bit uh, as we go here on this episode, that most of the Jewish community doesn't really know what happens after you die. And, you know, our friend Jonathan Bernis, uh, CEO and president of Jewish Voice Ministries, where you and I both serve, Carly, often in his presentations of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus uh, to Jewish communities and their neighbors when he speaks all around the world, He boils it down to two questions, right, which were his two questions that really uh, led him to, to encounter the Lord, you know, 35, 40 years ago as a new believer. And it's one, why am I here? And two, what happens after I die? And because in the Jewish community, depending on how you interpret the Torah, how you interpret the Old Testament scriptures, how you interpret the rabbi's interpretation of the Torah And how you think about the afterlife, there's just so much confusion, misunderstanding, disagreement, so much unknown about that second question, what happens after I die? And so in Judaism, there's tremendous, tremendous focus on why am I here? And really before we can even talk about, you know, death and burial and the idea of resurrection or life after death and what that looks like in the mourning process, we need to Go back to this life, because this idea that really who knows, if you will, what happens after you die puts a tremendous amount of emphasis in Jewish thought uh, throughout history on this life. And one of the most common expressions, people say it at holidays, people say it as an encouragement to one another, people actually say it during the mourning process after a loved one or a community member has died. And, you know, a little bit more, <laughs> more informally, people say it when they toast each other with wine on Shabbat or with, you know, a, a stronger drink on uh, Purim uh, every every spring. People say, lechaim, which means to life. If you spend any amount of time around a Jewish friend, family member, co-worker, you're going to hear l'chaim, to life. And why do we say that? And it's because of this idea that life, specifically, this life right like as david says here in the land of the living in the psalms this life really matters and that's a distinguisher i feel like we're a little bit off topic already on death and the afterlife but it's important to go back to okay we can't talk about death until we talk about this life right we're all born here as david says we have 70 or 80 years if we have the strength and the idea of the importance of this life. What am I doing in this life to make a difference? What am I doing in this life in Jewish thought to accomplish what's called tikkun olam, or the the redemption of the world? What am I doing in this life to pass on my Jewish identity that I die for to my children, to my grandchildren, if I'm you know fortunate to and blessed to see that day to my to my grandchildren's children. Uh, what am I doing to impact the world for better? What am I doing to bring peace, to do justice, to have mercy, and to demonstrate that to those around me? The the number of Nobel Prizes that have gone to Jewish people, even though we're way less than 1% of the worldwide population, is extremely high. It's over 20, 20-something percent. It may be even more now. And I'm not saying that to kind of toot our own horn as a Jewish community. I'm saying just to underscore this idea that's embedded in Jewish thought and identity that we don't know what happens on the other side. So we need to make a difference in the here and now. This life matters. And the highest the highest value in Jewish thinking is life. Even I'm thinking of, of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community that lives in Jerusalem, where they actually block off the streets on the eve of Shabbat every Friday night because... Really, literally, the community would say, God forbid that anyone should break the commandments of the Torah and kindle a fire on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, and one way you can kindle a fire is by starting the engine of your car, and so driving at all in those neighborhoods is forbidden. There's this strict adherence to the Shabbat and to the rabbi's commandments related to the day of rest. But Carly, if somebody gets sick, if somebody has a heart attack, if a woman goes into labor prematurely, if there's a medical emergency, they're going to move those blockades and they're going to let the ambulance in. Why? Because life and the preservation of life is the highest value in, in that kind of Jewish worldview. And frankly, because our people, the Jewish people have existed on what feels like throughout history, the doorstep of death, the doorstep of extermination under Haman, under the Spanish Inquisition, under the pogroms, under the Nazis during World War II and the Holocaust. And so because we live on death's doorstep and we don't know what happens when we die and we're all going to die, there's tremendous emphasis on life. So that was a really circuitous way to answer your question by saying, there's a lot of disagreement. What happens when we die? Does our spirit live on? There's not there's not agreement in the Jewish community. And if our spirit lives on, does our body actually get resurrected? More on that in a couple minutes. Also tremendous disagreement. So uh, the, the the confidence that the Christian world has in this idea of are not only our spirits living forever with the Lord if we believe in him, if we've been, you know, given that righteousness through our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Yeshua. And and not only that, but this idea that one day our bodies, like Jesus' body, will literally be resurrected is a very unique and foreign concept, concept to, to the average Jewish person hearing it. It sounds like a Christian invention for kind of a self-soothing placating of the masses, but the roots of it are actually in the Old Testament scriptures and in Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, the God-man, the Messiah of Israel's own teachings.
1: So Ezra, you know, when someone dies in our culture, it's really common for people to say, you know, they're in a better place, you'll see them one day in heaven, etc. In the Jewish community, is that something that's said, or how do they deal with that when someone passes?
0: Yeah, it's really, you know, when somebody, when you're speaking of someone who's passed, Carly, you, you often say, may their name be a blessing. And, and that's like the phrase, it actually comes from uh, part of the, what's called the mourner's kaddish or this traditional prayer of mourning, which actually doesn't mention death at all. It just mentions the greatness of God. The Jewish prayer for mourning doesn't say death, dying at all. It just talks about God who lives eternally and whose praises go on beyond any praises we could ever offer in this life. And so may the God of peace grant us peace in this life. It's a prayer for those who live on, not for the one who's died, but it's said when somebody dies. And so, again, this idea of to life, right? If we don't know if the spirit or the body lives on, I'm speaking like we in the sense of, of my fellow Jewish people, not what I personally believe as a believer in Jesus, as a Jewish believer. But the Jewish community would say, if we don't know what happens to the spirit or to the body, what does live on is our memory among our loved ones. And so the idea of may, may his name or may her name and memory be a blessing is, is in a way the highest hopeful thing that can be said after somebody's died. And interestingly, this kind of is an aside. In, in Hebrew, a variant of may his name be a blessing, uh, which is a blessing to say about somebody, is actually a curse. And it's may his name be blotted out. The idea there is may his name be blotted out from the book of life which isn't just a revelation concept, it's an Old Testament concept. We see it in the Torah, we see it in the prophets. This idea that our names, if we're found righteous, are ascribed in the Book of Life, right? They're written in the, in the Book of Life. Or, if we're found unrighteous in the eyes of God, our names are not found there, or they could even be blotted out. And I'm sorry to say, because of the widespread unbelief in Jesus among the larger Jewish community, we know if you if you're if you're a listener of this podcast you know that Jesus Hebrew name what he, what he was called by his parents what he was called by his followers was Yeshua which means which is a variant of Yeshua which means salvation. In modern Jewish thinking people don't say Yeshua they say Yeshu which is an acronym for may his name be blotted out. So just let that, let that sink in for our Christian audience. There's such widespread, maybe you didn't know this, and maybe you do, such widespread rejection of the claims of Jesus to be the Messiah, the one who died and was resurrected and seen by hundreds, as the scriptures say, and who's the promised Messiah and Savior of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, there's such widespread rejection of this idea that the way what you say if you don't believe in Jesus after his name comes up is Yeshu, And that's actually the variant instead of saying Yeshua, Yeshu. If you say, hey, you know, you say to a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jewish person on the street in Jerusalem, hey, have you heard about Jesus? They'll laugh and they'll go Yeshu, which is an acronym for you mean the one whose name should be blotted out. May his name be blotted out. It's actually a curse. So that's kind of a depressing thing. But, you know, all the more reason Paul talks about this idea that a callousness remains, right? Blinders or callousness remains on the heart of the Jewish community in large part until the fulfillment or the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, until this idea of the, the full maturity of the worldwide body of believers. And then he says in Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel shall be saved. And so even with this callousness, we we believe, I believe, I hope our, our audience through the eyes of faith, according to Romans 11, can also believe with us, Carly, that the Jewish community that refers to Jesus as Yeshu, may his name be blotted out, will one day see him revealed to them as Yeshua, salvation.
1: So would a Jewish person who doesn't believe in Jesus say that they do believe in heaven?
0: Yeah, it depends. You know, there's
1: lots, (laughs)
0: everything, I mean, everything you're going to ask today, I'm just going to say it depends. So just our audience can be prepared. No shocker there. I say that often, but uh, you know, there, there's a concept of the bosom of Abraham, if you will, this idea of being held close to the heart of our father, Abraham, who is close to the heart of God because his faith was credited to him for righteousness and so in some rabbinic thought you'll hear the idea of yes they've they're, they're resting in the bosom of Abraham in essence we we've we've made it through the suffering and the ups and downs and the toil and the hardship and the sickness and even the death that that come with this life and now they're resting with the forefathers they're gathered to their fathers and I think we see that language right even in in the first five books of the old testament which is known as the torah in Jewish faith in Jewish thought we see this idea and he died and he rested with his fathers. And it's that idea. Or he was gathered to his fathers. This idea that Moses and the prophets wrote when they penned the Old Testament inspired by the Spirit of God, he he was no more or he rested. He entered into his rest. He lived a life of faith and he entered into his rest. But the idea of heaven by that name doesn't necessarily exist in Old Testament thought. We see the heavens, Hashemayim, which which in a way means the waters that are above, Hashemayim, Ma'im mayim is waters. And so it's the idea from Genesis that God separated the waters above from the waters beneath. In essence, he separated Hashemayim, the this heavenly place, from the mayim, the waters that are here on earth during creation. And so the idea of the God who exists in, Hashamayim, Adonai Hashamayim, or the God who exists in heaven, is common in Jewish thought. That's widely understood. But do we actually go to a place called heaven and exist with him there eternally? Lots of disagreement on that. So depending on who you ask, yes and no.
1: Okay. So let's talk about Jewish customs of death and burial. So from, a, again, an, a non-believing Jew, what happens after someone dies? What are the customs that happen? Are there certain practices that they do? Like, what happens?
0: Yeah, and part of, part of Jewish practice, uh, so much of Jewish thought, actually, Jewish life, by design, comes from the commandments of the Torah. And we need to remember, Carly, that the Torah was given to Israel in the wilderness literally months, or at best, a couple of years after they've come out of four centuries of slavery in Egypt. And, you know, we all remember from, from elementary school, right? We had to make the, the model of the pyramids and we dressed up like Pharaoh and we learned about the whole burial process. Egypt was a culture of death, right? It celebrated death, right? The, the idea of the Pharaohs or whoever could afford it, you have this life and you have this life, but really what matters is immortalizing you in death. So they would build these tremendous structures. Actually, the Israelites, as slaves in Egypt, probably built a lot of the pyramids in Giza, or at least had a part in building the pyramids that we can go visit today. And they were these giant tombs, glorifying death, right? Mummification, preserving the body forever. And the original practices of preserving a deceased corpse with with whatever, formaldehyde or whatever was available back then, and then wrapping them and burying them in these, tremendous shrines was this idea of glorifying death. And so God very intentionally to separate the children of Israel from what was their experience, their life for four centuries under the rule of the Egyptians had to call them out of a culture of death to a culture of life. And so for that and for a number of other reasons, even today, typically Jewish bodies after someone passes are not preserved with chemicals. That's part of the reason that a Jewish funeral needs to happen very quickly, like within 24 hours of somebody dying because there's no preservation happening. Uh, by and large in a typical Jewish burial practice or ritual. And so the body not preserved at all is buried very quickly, in some cases above ground in a stone tomb. That's very typical in Israel. It's just these, almost like a Catholic cemetery. Sometimes you see this also, right? These, these, what are they called? Mausoleums in, in American English. I'm sure there's a Latin word there that I don't know. But the Jewish version of a mausoleum is very typical. Also in the ground, but the burial happens very quickly. You're not saying, okay, well, we're going to have a memorial service and a funeral, you know, 10 days from now when everybody can fly in. It's got to happen within 24 hours in typical Jewish practice because the body is not preserved. And I'm going to dip my toes, dip our toes into the waters of the of the conversation about resurrection and an afterlife here if I go too far. But typical Jewish practice in burial and mourning is the funeral happens very quickly. And then there's this thing called Shiva, which in Hebrew, Shiva Is seven. The city that my wife is from in southern Israel, Be'er Sheva, is the well or the oath of the seven. And so this idea of Sheva translates to what's called Shiva, sitting Shiva, a seven day period immediately following the burial, uh, which should happen within a day of the person's passing. You sit. In either the house where the person lived or in the house of a family member uh, who's hosting, who's hosting other family and friends who want to come pay their respects and the family literally as much as is possible stays in that house. For seven days of mourning and the family comes and comforts them you talk about the person's life you talk about memories you laugh you cry you eat a whole lot of food it's unfortunate people have to get a gym membership after a loved one passes because they sit in the house and they eat all this junk food you know the rugelach and pastries and chop liver and hummus and you know deli platters and everything that people bring from the community to have a big feast but it's a little bit different than Christian thought, I think, right? This idea of, okay, we have to be maybe people in mourning kind of get by themselves, small family event. You wear black, you mourn in Jewish, in Jewish thought. It's not that way. You actually surround yourself with community and the community surrounds you. As, as, an, as a closet introvert, Carly, the thought is overwhelming to me, but it's this idea that in your mourning, you're not alone. You're actually with more people than you're ever with on a regular basis because mourning is a very public thing in Jewish thought. It's a it's a foreign idea, I think, in America where right we kind of have the Lone Ranger syndrome as a, as a value, right? I'm on my own. Everybody stay away. If I'm not doing well, I want to be in private. And in Jewish thought, in Israel, in the American Jewish culture around the world... If you're mourning, you're supposed to be surrounded by loved ones and by friends and family who not only want to honor the memory of the one who's passed, but want to stand with you. And so crying happens in public, laughing happens in public, telling funny and or difficult stories about the one who's no longer with us happen in the context of community. And I think really for us as Americans, there's something to be to be learned there that, that maybe Maybe we aren't supposed to go away and be by ourselves when everything's not okay. Maybe we're supposed to be with people who can comfort
1: us. So Ezra, are there any actual biblical references to Shiva or is it just like Jewish tradition?
0: We see it in Genesis at the very end of the book of Genesis in chapter 50, verse 10, Jacob dies, right? So we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the continuing thread of the chosen people, the Jewish people. And Jacob dies, and it says in verse 10, when they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, meaning the Jordan River, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. So the idea of, of seven days of mourning comes actually from here, of Jacob, or excuse me, of Joseph's period of mourning for his father, Jacob, uh, the third of the three patriarchs of the Jewish people, and then Uh, Another example is actually in the book that we don't like to read a lot because it's long and it's depressing until the very end. The book of Job and Job in in chapter two, verses 11 through 13, we see, you know, we know the story, right? The enemy asks for permission to sift or to test Job and God is so confident in Job's faithfulness that he says, I'm allowing you to bring this calamity into Job's life because I'm going to work it for good unto my glory and I'm going to restore what's lost. But we don't see that yet. At first, we see the loss. And so Job's children die. And it says Job's, in verse 11 of chapter 2, when Job's three friends heard about all this calamity that had come upon Job, each of them came from his own place, and it lists where they came from. And it says they met together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And they lift up their voices and wept. So as we've talked about, Carly, in Jewish in in the Bible, the, the storybook of the Jewish people, you know, at least Genesis through, through Deuteronomy, and then, of course, Job and what the prophets write, we see this idea that mourning doesn't happen in isolation whenever we get around to it in Jewish tradition and in the biblical prescription either. It happens in community immediately for a prescribed period of time. And I think the heart behind it is you go through the grieving and the mourning process. You don't delay it. Because on the other side of it is new season, new life, uh, deeper wisdom, right? Teach us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom, the psalmist says. But it's done in community and it's done immediately. So that's some of the, you know, there's others we could name, but in the interest of time, those are two biblical references of the Jewish mourning process.
1: Is that a Jewish custom only or like do Messianic Jews follow that as well?
0: Messianic Jews, kind of a quick, you know, 30 second refresher here. Messianic Jews testify and believe what we really believe is the most important thing we can believe and what our destiny as a people, as the Jewish people always was to believe according to the Torah and the prophets, we believe in the Messiah that Jesus came to fulfill all that the prophets said the Messiah, the savior would be. And not only that he died for us, but that he resurrected and is living at the right hand of the father in heaven. So in that sense, we share our faith in Jesus in the same way as Christians by and large Uh, those who name the name of Jesus around the world from every tribe, tongue, and nation believe. And, not but, and as Messianic Jews or as Jewish believers in Jesus, we retain our Jewish identity because we believe that faith in the Messiah isn't a conversion to another religion and isn't a departure from Jewish identity. It's actually the fulfillment of it. And so in that vein, by and large, messianic jews mourning the death of a loved one will sit shiva they will bury quickly you know some people depending on how they feel will cremate versus bury we're going to talk more about that in a minute but the the practices of acknowledging death and burial and then mourning in community are are preserved in the messianic jewish community because we live as jews and we die as jews the difference is we know through the eyes of faith what happens when we die? It's not a question mark. And so it's a mixed bag in the Messianic community because one of our when one of our relatives dies, who shares our faith in Yeshua, there's tremendous confidence in the where they are, right? That not only are they somehow generically in the bosom of Abraham, they're actually in the presence of the Lord, uh, made righteous, their eternal life, John 3:16 was bought through the blood through the death and sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus, and we know that, and we have that hope, that not only are we saying to sort of self-soothe, well, they're in a better place, we really believe that that deceased person is more alive than they ever were here on earth, and so we're the ones who are suffering now because of our mourning. They're not. They're in the presence of the Lord. The other side of that coin is when one of our loved ones passes, Jewish or, or Gentile, who we know didn't have that knowledge through the eyes of faith that Jesus is their Lord, is their Savior, is their Messiah. There's a lot of grieving there, and there's remorse, and, and it doesn't bring us into a place of hopelessness. Uh, it just it renews our—it it rekindles our, our passion to do all that we can to share the hope that we have here in this lifetime, in as David says, here in the land of the living.
1: So you mentioned, you know, from Jewish thought that they bury quickly, which— I can't imagine what that was like in the past year during the coronavirus when, you know, people couldn't gather. But uh, what is the thought on cremation? Is it just totally not something that's considered?
0: Yeah. Again, it depends. You can say primarily what it depends on, not exclusively, but primarily is how, quote unquote, religious a Jewish person is. What do I mean by that? The ultra-Orthodox, the Orthodox conservative Judaism does generally believe in the idea of a resurrection from the dead today. Uh, Where do we get that idea? Well, Ezekiel 37 is one place. I mean, there's many. But Ezekiel 37, we all know it as the Valley of Dry Bones chapter, right? But it's specifically, we tend to generalize that passage. Yes, God's going to regather us. He's going to make us alive in him. Yes, amen, Jesus. The, The prophet is very clear these bones are the whole house of Israel. It's right there. If you don't believe me, look it up. So there's, of course, an application for all believers, but the interpretation, according to the words of the the verses themselves, is that the that the whole house of Israel is represented in Ezekiel's vision as this Valley of dry bones. And not only are the bones regathered the idea of a physical regathering of, of Jewish people and put back together, but by the spirit and the spirit, isn't a Christian, isn't some idea that showed up with Jesus on the scene. And then with Pentecost, you know, sort of, came out of nowhere, the spirit, the ruach, in Hebrew, it's the same word for spirit and wind, because he's always on the move. The the ruach, the spirit of Elohim, of God, is able, according to Ezekiel 37, to breathe life into the regathering of our people. And so the idea in religious Jewish thought of, of the resurrection of the dead is a very real one. And if God is able literally to regather our bones, then we shouldn't destroy or break, or in this case, cremate those bones because of the idea of whether you believe in Jesus or not, the idea of a hope of the Messiah who will return to Jerusalem to rule and reign. And when he returns, he will resurrect our bodies. And so typically Jewish practice is not to cremate. Again, a, a clear separation from a culture of death in Egypt into a culture of life through Torah, also because of a belief in the resurrection of the dead. And uh, I'm sorry to say more recently, even if you're not religious, the idea that literally millions of Jewish people and others, gypsies, people who were identified as homosexual in the communities, no not exclusively the Jews, but largely the Jewish community during the Holocaust was burnt, either dead or alive. And the idea that the ashes of our people cry out from the ground because of what was done to us outside of our control. And for that reason, we don't do it to ourselves. And so that's another very, very uh, sobering to talk about, but another modern history reason why cremation is often shied away from. All of that being said, because a lot of the secular Jewish community goes, what's the difference, right? Who knows what happens after I die? What does it matter if I'm buried or if I'm cremated? You know, I'm not going to be there to deal with it. So, you know, do what's convenient, do what's cheap, do what's more meaningful to the family. I'll say that I believe the God for whom nothing is impossible is able to regather ashes and resurrect them in the same way that he's able to regather bones. But you didn't ask for it. But since since it's a Jewish talk show in a way, I'll share my opinion unsolicited. What God's able to do, Versus what is a demonstration to my family, my community, my children and grandchildren when I'm gone of my belief that he's going to come again and resurrect us. And my personal belief that Jesus will come back and resurrect all those who are in him. I shy away from cremation. I I prefer for the Jewish people, especially the idea of of burying bones. Even what I feel like is obedient, I'll, I'll go so far as to say, and then what God's able to do. Are are two different things, and we just I think it's important to remember His providence, His omnipotence, His mercy in all of this.
1: So I want to go back to the seven day morning practice for a minute because we talk a lot on this podcast about customs that the Jewish community follows, and how uh, you know sometimes we invite the Gentile community into that. So is that something that a Christian should follow, shouldn't follow? an invitation to follow a good idea you know what are your thoughts
0: yeah you know i'm not it's like we we should do a psychology show on the side and whenever we're sharing what the jewish community does either what we're commanded to do in the hebrew scriptures in the torah or what we do as a traditional practice as a people and we're sharing that for the sake of our audience kind of learning about the jewish community and connecting on that on that deeper level there's I think there's always, or in most cases I'll say, an invitation for a Christian to participate with with Israel, with the Jewish people in those practices, but there's not an obligation. And I found in my own life that even though I'm an introvert, even though I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve, the process in the context of Jewish community of going through a public mourning process actually expedites the process of grieving. And even though it's humbling and uncomfortable, it catalyzes something in terms of healing and and moving forward. So if that resonates with our audience, absolutely do it. Do I I think people should sit Shiva and get kosher deli ordered and send out a thing saying, my relative has passed, we're sitting Shiva? I don't think anybody's going to know what the heck you're talking about except your Jewish friends, and your Jewish friends are going to go, explain to me why you're doing that. So applying it in exactly the same way as the Jewish community does, maybe not but the idea of mourning and community maybe is something that's resonating with with our audience Carly and they would want to apply it so so that's and and as believers the idea of, Yes, that person's no longer with us, but we can declare our hope in God here in this lifetime and in the life of the world to come. In Hebrew, olam haba, if we say what, and I should have said that at the beginning of the podcast, but how do we even talk about the afterlife in Jewish thought? It's this idea of olam, which is the world, like this, there's olam, world, and Hashamayim, heavens. This is sort of the, the fundamental distinction. Olam haba, it means the world that is coming, the world that's on its way, the world to come. And so the afterlife or olam haba in Hebrew thought is is there's hope for that and there's hope here in the land of the living. So remembering kind of those foundational things for our Christian audience who is going through mourning, who's lost someone due to illness, who's lost someone due to COVID, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. It may give you some some context, some some uh, room within which to to go through a process.
1: So even though we have different practices in Judaism and different thoughts on cremation and burial, none of these are major doctrinal disagreements. And I know that what we can agree on is that our salvation is through Jesus and that's the hope we have for eternal life. So to the Christians who have listened to this to better understand Jewish thought on the afterlife, what encouragement would you have for them?
0: Yeah, you know, I, I want to mention something, something else in response to that that I maybe should have mentioned at the outset, Carly, but it's this idea of, of our confidence in the resurrection, and it's not a Christian concept. It's a very Jewish concept. The prophets understood the resurrection during Jesus' time, right? We read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What's one of the fundamental differences between these two sects of Judaism that are both trying to trap Jesus in his words when he's ministering on earth? It's the belief in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed there was a resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees said, when it's over, it's over. And Jesus gets into the gets into people's business on that issue. Uh, I'm thinking of the story of Lazarus, right? And and in Jewish thought, your spirit after you die actually stayed around for three days. Interesting, right? For three days and three nights. And so after that, in essence, it was impossible for somebody to come back to life. But it was widely understood in the time of Jesus. Many of our listeners may may not know this at all. It was widely understood because of experience and because of faith that for three days after somebody died, their spirit could come back and they could stand up and walk. And so that's what's so significant that Jesus shows up at Lazarus' tomb four days after. Because at this point, there's no hope in Jewish thought that Lazarus could resurrect. It's it's In, in that religious system, it's impossible. And Jesus comes back and he, he weeps, right? And it's this ugly scene. Miriam and Martha, Mary and Martha are, are there. Jesus, if you had only been here... Lazarus wouldn't have died. And and Jesus comforts them, or he tries to, no, Lazarus will live. And they give him this very religious response, right? This very kind of feel-good, placate the masses. Yes, 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 I know in the resurrection he'll live. Well, okay, so Mary Mary and Martha reveal they subscribe to the, the Pharisaical sect here. They believe in the resurrection. And they're saying everything they're supposed to say. And Jesus interrupts them and says, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in something, but you need to understand that it's fulfilled in me. And so and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. And it was widely understood. I mean, at this point, Jesus is doing what we can call a messianic miracle, right? Other people worked signs and wonders, miracles, but he does a messianic miracle. Because it was understood in Judaism that only the Messiah, only the anointed one from God could raise somebody after three days. Three days? Yeah, it was a miracle, but you know, it happens. Four days, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've waited for. That's why it's so scandalous. And that's my encouragement in a long-winded way to get back to your question. That's my encouragement for our audience. Some of our audience have a Jewish heritage. Some of our audience are from the Jewish community and are wondering about Jesus and what does this have to do with them? many of our audience are from a Christian background and trying to learn about Jewish things out of curiosity, out of a felt burden, maybe you have a friend or family member who's Jewish. Understand that our belief in Jesus is our belief in the one who said, I'm the resurrection. You don't have to wonder what happens after you die and you don't have to just generically believe that one day we'll be resurrected, which is what most of the religious Jewish community believes. We believe that that promise that the prophets saw was actually confirmed in the resurrection of Jesus and that he was seen by the disciples. He was seen by dozens of his followers. He was seen by the scriptures say over 500 people in one day at one point during the 40 days ish between his resurrection and his ascension to be with the father where he is today until he returns to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Amen. But that's my, that's my encouragement. Carly to our listeners is, if if you know Jesus, if you believe that he's our Messiah, as a Jewish person, as a Gentile, doesn't matter. You have a confidence in the one who fulfills the hope and the uncertainty, as the case may be, of the Jewish community worldwide. What happens after you die? We understand that we live on either with him or apart from him. But we know the way. The one who said, I'm the resurrection, also said, I'm the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one lives eternally with God apart from me. So you have a promise and a hope and a certainty through faith that most of your Jewish friends and family don't have, even though we live a life that tries to acknowledge that God is holy and tries to live righteous before him. Share that hope with a Jewish friend or family member, or with anybody who's curious and is asking that question, what happens after I die? You have the answer. Don't be afraid to share it. It's so important.
1: Ezra, that is like the, the perfect example of why it's so important for Christians to understand the Jewish practices, the story about Lazarus. Like if you're just reading the Bible, not through that understanding, it's a great miracle. Cool. But through what you just explained is it. just brings the context of why it was such a huge deal and that's exactly what we're trying to do here on this podcast is explain those things so that christians can have a better understanding about the word of god and you know what jesus did while he was here
0: yeah one more thought i know i know we're wrapping up here but just i i feel kind of compelled to say it we don't say it often enough on the podcast I think a lot of Christians have this idea, and I'm sorry to say the the current Pope actually affirmed this in a statement, and his intention was to say, I stand with the Jewish community, we reject anti-Semitism, we're friends of Israel, all of that's good, but he went too far. Why? Because he affirmed the idea in Christian thought, the wrong idea, Carly, that the Jews, the Jewish people have their own path to God, have their own way to heaven. I hope this podcast has shown, has shown our listeners, Jewish or, or Christian. No, we don't. The prophets are clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not a Romans invention. That's an Old Testament quote. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one comes to the Father except through the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah is the way, the truth, and the life, and the resurrection of the dead. The Jewish people, my people, don't have our own path. There's one way. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So I just, I I encourage you, my Jewish friends and family, by and large, reject my testimony of Jesus as a Jewish person, but they might not reject yours. And, And you have the answers that we don't have. And the way that you earn the right to share those answers is through love and understanding. And so thank you. Thanks to our Christian audience for taking the time to learn more about this unique, strange, widely misunderstood people group on the face of the earth of 15 or 20 million called the Jewish people, some of whom you may know. Thank you. And just understand, have that confidence. You have the answers. There's no other answer.
1: Yeah. It just makes me think of the verse that you talked about in your own story, which is Romans one sixteen. for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And I don't think there's any better way to end the podcast than just with some scripture. I hope those listening, you gained a better understanding of Jewish thoughts, Jewish traditions. As we've mentioned before, this podcast is supported by our listeners. So if you'd like to support us in the content we're delivering to you, go to our website, a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org can donate one time or monthly. If you give monthly, you can receive our Lost Tribes coffee directly from Ethiopia as often as you'd like. We're also doing a monthly coffee giveaway right now. If you text JG to 474747, you can be entered to win a bag of free coffee each month. So go ahead and do that if you're interested. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. Um, share this podcast with someone you know who may be interested. You can also follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss there's any questions you have for us, you can submit them on our website or engage with us on social media. Thanks again so much for listening and join us next week for another episode. The show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.